0: Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda Podcast. My name is Angela Priestley. I am the publisher on Women's Agenda and I'm with my Agenda Media co-founder and editor on Women's Agenda, Tyler Lambert. Hello. Hello. On the agenda today, we'll be looking at the men, and they are mostly men, making Australia a climate outlier. We'll ask if perfection is why women are less wealthy than men. The short answer there is no. Plus, we'll also be looking at some quite significant investments into domestic violence this week. Thank you for listening. Hi, Tala. So we are on toddler deadline right now.
1: Yes, we really are. My baby. <laughs> He's being a nightmare
0: at the moment and I've just got him down to sleep about half an hour ago, but he's a ticking time bomb. (laughs) Exactly. And my three kids are not with me today for the first time in weeks and months. So hooray for that. Today is a good day. On today's episode, we'll be running through a few of the big stories that we've been covering this week. And we'll also be sharing that bin hack from Superhero a bit later on, looking at perfectionism in investing, whether that's actually a thing or not, and offering a quick tip there. A big shout out just before we get into our wins for women this week is that I do just want to acknowledge and say a big thank you to Superhero. It's what they're giving for this podcast that really makes what we do on women's agenda possible. And a big thank you also to Dell, who we are currently partnering with as well on doing some content around their current campaign. And that campaign is around their Dream Tech competition. So if you're an entrepreneur in Australia, you can apply for this. And you can go into the running to win $40,000 in technology solutions. So go and check that out. That's at Duen.com forward slash dreamtech dash Australia. All right, Tyler, let's get straight to the wins. What was your win this week?
1: My win comes in the form of a bachelorette, which may sound a bit silly to some people, but I think that last night's first episode of The Bachelorette, in which Brooke Blurton became the first queer First Nations Bachelorette, is a really big TV milestone in Australia. And I I don't think it's one that we should take lightly or, or dismiss. I think it's a really important moment. And not only that, but Blerton, who's a, a Noongar Yamachi woman, she was welcomed in on the red carpet, the bachelorette red carpet, by three Indigenous elders performing a welcome to country ceremony. And she said it was like a little piece of home. And she acknowledged the Darug country of the Bidjigal clan and said that this is a moment and I get tears. It wasn't sad tears. It was a happy cry. Um, And I just think Channel 10, who are airing this season of The Bachelorette, are really going above and beyond as well to recognise this part of our culture and the history of Brooke becoming the first Bachelorette. Yeah, I commend them for it. And I think she's amazing. um, And I look forward to watching the rest of the season more than I have ever looked forward to watching a season of The Bachelorette before.
0: Yeah, I mean, I didn't get to see it. I'm yet to watch an episode of The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. So, but I do understand the significance in the sense of reality television in Australia, which has done a pretty poor job on representing diversity. I mean, often they haven't even tried, I feel like, and a lot of networks haven't even tried. And well done to her. And I hope that she finds. The love of her life. I mean, I believe that's what it's all about. A couple of weeks back as I was writing the Ag Wrap, which is a weekly newsletter that we do for women in agriculture, I did also come across a snippet of news talking about Farmer Wants a Wife. And so sometimes people are talking about a lot of these shows and I get a bit lost with it all.
1: We got a bit absorbed in maths one year. I remember There, there, there
0: was one season of maths that I watched while I was heavily pregnant and I actually watched it while I was in labour and my problem, and this is my issue with uh, sport as well, I get so emotionally invested in certain things that the best thing for me to do is to never, ever engage in it because otherwise I can't stop thinking about it. I want to get in touch with the people. I want to look up every social media thing. It, it's it's not great. So my, my thing is just not to engage. You're it. a complex creature, Angela Priestley. Yeah. I will give you that. <laughs> my point being there, <laughs> I recently found out that the farmer wants a wife. Well, they featured one female farmer in its history and I think that was when it was with a different network. And so this year they've actually put the call out saying that they're looking for women to participate as being one of the farmers who wants a wife or a husband. Like I think the show should be called The Farmer Wants a Life Partner or something. I think we can come up with another name for it. But there are little moves afoot.
1: I mean, this just warmed my heart watching Brooke last night because, you know, I've watched... I am a bit of a sucker for reality TV and I have watched multiple seasons of The Bachelor and Bachelorette in past years. And it always dismays me, as someone from a culturally diverse background, it always dismays me that there are never any women of colour really involved in those series or or very, very few. And um, I think that it's just amazing that we've come this far. I don't think it is tokenistic, but I hope it just
0: continues. My win for this week on top of yours, Tala, is the new netball dress rules. I played a lot of netball when I was growing up, just to put some context behind this, and I do remember that the netball uniform rules were very strict to the point that myself and my teammates would actually fear walking past certain netball officials on account that we might get asked to um, have our regulation uh, scungies checked Scungies. Um, scungies would be the things that you wear over your underwear under your netball skirt so it would actually be checked to see if you were wearing the right color or the right size i will say that no men ever checked this it was always women but still it was sort of this fear that you could suddenly be taken off the court or something because you might be wearing like a slightly different cologne Basically this week, traditional netball dresses, it seems, could become a relic of the past. So Netball New South Wales has launched a new uniform range for players that will be more inclusive and comfortable for all people of all ages and gender identities and cultural backgrounds. The new range includes different options for the amateur players in New South Wales, and that includes singlets, T-shirts, long sleeve tops, shorts, and compression wear. The traditional netball dress will also remain in the mix for players if they wish wear it so if you want to keep wearing what i used to wear that that's all good as well there's a few things here also the netball uniforms of today have actually changed from when i played netball as well i remember it was pretty basic would be a polo shirt it would be a netball skirt it would be the scongies over your underwear and then it turned into this quite short dress that I think this is such a big step forward. I don't know why it took again to 2021 to make this happen, but good on Netball New South Wales. Let's hope it spreads across the country and potentially across the world for, you know, making these uniforms more inclusive.
1: I mean, it's pretty crazy that in 2021, (laughs) like, girls and women are expected to still wear uniforms like that, because I played a lot of netball too. And I remember those skirts were just so uncomfortable and just feeling like you were on display a little bit because you'd be running around and jumping and, and whatnot. And you could, you know, I, I was able to wear bike shorts underneath, but yeah, like I, I know a lot of friends of mine felt very uncomfortable. Um, and especially, you know, is a, a prepubescent, teenager like you just are kind of going into it just feeling super uncomfortable
0: about your body and but Tyler like the dresses are different to what you would have worn now like it's actual sleeveless tight dresses it's quite different to a skirt I, I never remember being uncomfortable in in what we had but it was just that sense of, i felt kind of glad that I never had to play in this current generation where. But I
1: just think it's a bit crazy because you hear from young girls, there's been multiple studies done on this and young girls and women reporting that they feel uncomfortable wearing, you know, uniforms like that. So why are we not trying to be more inclusive across the board and making sure that women and girls can actually access sport and play freely and easily without those kind of gender biases in in place.
0: Okay, so that's wins for this week. So on to some of our big stories this week. What we did notice was there's been quite a significant packages delivered around tackling domestic violence. So one in New South Wales. So the New South Wales government has promised to deliver 75 women's refuges in a spend that will cost around half a billion dollars to help, again, address domestic and family violence. And establish more places for for women to go um the other part here was this announcement of a new five thousand dollar payment for women fleeing domestic violence so they can receive the one-off payment under a two-year trial so tyler to you what did you make of these announcements
1: Uh, I mean, I think that the New South Wales announcement in particular is very encouraging to see. I think it's a big announcement. It's a lot of money behind that. Um, And we know that that will make a a critical difference to these services and women that are vulnerable and, and fleeing violence. So, yeah, as you mentioned It's a $500 million spend and New South Wales Minister for Women, Bronnie Taylor, said there is a high demand in the community for domestic violence services like women's refuges, which we know to be true. We've heard from multiple experts and services throughout the pandemic especially who have been pleading with the government to take bigger action here and to commit more funding and resources to this area. So it is really it's really great to see that New South Wales has taken that up. But, you know, just to underscore the, the crisis, Ronnie Taylor also said, you know, in 2019 to 20, almost 40% of the people who access specialists, homelessness services in New South Wales across our cities, regional and rural communities had experienced domestic abuse. And one of the most important things we can do in government is to ensure that when a victim survivor makes the courageous decision to leave a violent home, a time when she actually faces the greatest risk, that there's a secure, supportive environment waiting to help her. That That's a really strong message as well. Um, and look, the federal government announcement, I think it's the tip of the iceberg, really. But it's something. And I, again, commend them for, for putting something in the works. I will say that there has been quite a lot of cynicism across our social pages um, and from readers who have heard this news because they feel like there's an election approaching and that these decisions are sometimes put in the mix to win votes at a critical time. I hope that's not the case. I hope that this is the start of them taking this crisis very seriously, which is what is required. But you know, time will tell there. What, what are your feelings on it?
0: Well, I mean, I might go to the New South Wales announcement. I did see that as quite positive because what it means is that it's basically, I believe, doubling the options there. I mean, once this is together and once it's built, and obviously that's going to take a while, but it does double what is offered there. And at the moment, a lot of women and children are facing homelessness because of family violence and domestic violence and then they are getting turned away from some of these services because they don't have the capacity and the room so I think it was great to see I think it's worth mentioning it's part of this like core and cluster model so it involves the self-contained accommodation but it also has services like counselling and legal assistance education and employment support there are meeting rooms there are audio visual equipment for court appearances there's communal kitchens there's playgrounds so it's set up around trying to make this uh, transitionary period and what is a very difficult period for women and their children, really trying to go, we can see all these things that you'll be going through at this point. We're going to set this up to make it as easy as possible for you and what will be possibly the most difficult point of your life. And we're also obviously acknowledging that you've got children with you as well and we want to have them have playgrounds and we want to get them together with other kids as well. So I think that's great. And a big credit also, I want to acknowledge Annabelle Daniel, who's the Chair of Domestic Violence New South Wales and someone who has previously uh, won one of our Women's Agenda Leadership Awards in the not-for-profit sector who has really been um, driving this kind of cluster model of services as well. And so she had she was part of the press conference in this announcement and she basically said that, you know, this new funding will recognise this urgent need and she, she really highlighted rural, regional and remote areas across New South Wales where a lot of these services are really lacking. So, um, yeah, I was, I was happy to see that.
1: Yeah, I think you're right that that holistic method um, shows that the New South Wales government has listened um, and they've heeded the advice of experts in this field, including Annabelle Daniel. And I think it really stands in contrast to a lot of policies we see that very obviously appear as a Band-Aid fix. As much as it's welcome, that $5,000 payment from the federal government, it really is only a fraction of the way into what is required because we know that women and families fleeing violence then have to go and put you know, a bond down for an apartment, or they have legal costs, or they have, you know, various other costs that are coming out of their pocket. And $5,000 really, it makes a start on that. And it helps with that that kind of financial burden, but it does not go far enough for women being able to support their, their children in a time like that.
0: Before we get to the next segment, just to share some of the key helplines for advice and support. So obviously in an emergency call 000, you can contact 1-800-RESPECT, 737 732 You can call the New South Wales Domestic Violence Line, one 656 463 There's also the men's referral service, one 766 491 Tyler, on the agenda this week, I I don't like writing about Deputy Prime Minister Barnaby Joyce. It's not a good day when that comes out. And I did it twice this week. I don't know why. I'm not sure about the second time not that I was really. thinking, that I did it yeah. twice. There's a lot of Barnaby action. I have a real issue. So we are recording this on the Thursday, and I suspect that the Nats might come to some kind of agreement Amongst the coalition to commit to net zero emissions by 2050, which is kind of important given that Scott Morrison is going to Glasgow to participate in. COP26, the major international climate talks, uh, basically in 10 or so days. So he he needs to be able to take that there. It's the absolute minimum that should be done. It's actually pretty pathetic. We are absolutely hopeless on Mm -hmm. climate. We are an embarrassment on the world stage. We need to do a lot more. But what is particularly embarrassing is is Barnaby Joyce and is that we have got a handful of nationals who are driving this agenda Mm -hmm. and really preventing Australia from being able to commit to much more significant action on this. What really got me going this week was this idea of, first of all, Barnaby Joyce coming out and saying that uh, he is not going to be held hostage to the wishes of others, as if Barnaby Joyce has never held Australia hostage to his own personal wishes at all. What also got me going was that Nat's and it wasn't just Barnaby, it's a number of them, coming out and saying that they haven't had enough time to consider this and to understand this, and they've, you know, they, they made the point we only had four hours in the party room on Sunday. <laughs>
1: four hours in <and> three decades. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we've had, okay, decades of research. They've been in power for eight years, three prime ministers and three prime ministers that didn't go for reasons that had nothing to do with energy policy, I might add. Like we've been there, they've seen this, and yet they have the absolute goal to come out and claim being held hostage and to claim that they haven't had enough time. Um, I don't know what else to say about this. I just feel like having a real rant about this idea that we're being held. uh, Australia's policy on this and our standing on the international stage comes down to Barnaby Joyce and his nationals friends who make up a small number of the coalition who don't represent anything like how Australians have basically voted in the past few elections, and here we are.
1: Yep, and I like it. I mean, you might have seen Jackie Lambie slammed Barnaby Joyce this morning actually and said for dragging his heels on this policy and just said that he was in it for for cash. But I just I love it when Jackie Lambie just goes rogue and she absolutely rinsed
0: him. So, but, but that's the thing. I mean, this man is Deputy Prime Minister of Australia. Like he's got there on a quota um, and he is dictating so much of this. So, like I said, we, we might get an agreement, but they have already said that there's no way they will commit to anything on for, for 2030, which would put us more in line with some of our key allies across the world. We won't get anything there. So we're taking the bare minimum when here we are as a country at so much risk. Well, first of all, so much potential to contribute on this issue and so much potential to really reset an economy and drive for something new in terms of renewable energy. And We have everything at our disposal and and yet we can't do that because we've got people like Barnaby or my special mention for Resources Minister Keith Pitt, who doesn't actually seem to believe in climate change. Um, who actually told Fran Kelly this week that uh, when she repeatedly asked him is climate change real, Uh, his comment was actually that the climate's changing. It's always changed, Fran, and there's no way that Australia will make one iota of difference on that. Isn't it
1: wild that there are people in this country, let alone in parliament, making decisions for the rest of the country who don't think that climate
0: change exists. If you don't believe climate change is real or that Australia can make a difference, then what the hell are you doing in Parliament? Next on the agenda, it is time for our finance hack. Our new FinHack segment, not so new, we're in our third week now, but it is supported by Superhero, which is the app that makes investing accessible and affordable for everyone. So a big thank you to Superhero because it is support like what they are giving us for this podcast. It helps us continue Women's Agenda and keep our publishing free and keep us putting out five to six stories that we do every day and publishing our daily newsletter. Also, a big thank you to Superhero because it helps us get more of these issues like we're about to talk on the agenda so we can talk more about investing and saving and superannuation and all of these things. We like to obviously offer a tip during this segment, but we also like to talk to a story that has caught our attention during the week. So the story that caught our attention, which I will speak to now, so it was in the Australian Financial Review with the headline, Do Female Investors Have a Perfectionist Problem? The story then goes on to quote a number of female money coaches who uh, do indeed suggest that, well, perfectionism or perfection mode or analysis paralysis might be getting in the way of women investing and the fact that, well, the Australian Securities Exchange basically says, doesn't basically, the Australian Securities Exchange says that 58% of direct share market investors are men compared with 42% for women. Uh, They've also released stats finding that men are investing significantly more than women. So there is clearly a difference. So is it perfectionism that is standing in the way of our wealth? It can't, it can't be any of the other
1: giant gaping gender biases and barriers that, you know,
0: cause this shit. It has to be. It's ourselves. It's, our, I, it's ourselves. How have we not known this? I know. I'm just sitting All here in analysis time. paralysis. I just cannot make I I just don't know where to put all my money. I've just got so much money. I don't know where to put it. I think
1: this is a very one-dimensional view of this issue. I'm not saying that there potentially isn't a difference in the way that men and women approach investing, but I think that that's also a byproduct of the many gaps and and barriers that do exist for women. And women do need to be more risk aware when it comes to their finance, because we're facing things like a 14.2% gender pay gap. We're facing things like retiring on average with half the superannuation as our male counterparts. We are up against a whole host of challenges that men will never fathom. So, of course, when it comes to money, because of that, we have to be more risk aware. But I do think that that's a ridiculous notion to just
0: kind of blame it on
1: perfectionism.
0: Well, yeah. And also, I mean, I never like to see like stark contrasts between men and women and things like imposter syndrome or things like perfectionism i like to think about the things that may lead to imposter syndrome and perfectionism and you've just talked to all of them tala so obviously 14.2% gender pay gap the superannuation gap i think that's a major one this stats find that women that's significant yeah for women age 55 and over in this country their risk of retiring below
1: the poverty line is seismic you know they have faced an entire life of being unprotected from financial hardship So how can we then look at that equation and and put them on an equal playing field to men and engage with it and analyse it as an equal playing field? It's just not possible. I think, yeah, you're exactly right. It's all about the causal effects.
0: Yeah. So a tip. This is a hard one. We're not saying a tip to perfectionists here at all. We're not saying a tip at all. What we wanted to do was highlight something around how to get started on investing in the stock market very quick thing and we also want to do that knowing having surveyed our audience on these issues previously that a lot of women do live paycheck to paycheck in our audience and a lot of people do not have that much to invest and we've got to consider that and i think that's where the first tip starts and Tyler, i thought that you might share how you got started because i know that you got started just by investing very very little
1: I did, yeah. And I wrote a piece this week in partnership with Superhero around the conversations that women need to have about money and, you know, who we need to be having that conversation with. And one of the things that I spoke about was, you know, actually speaking up around friends and talking about investing and where we're placing our money, because I think that a lot of research has pointed to this as well, that, you know, women feel very comfortable talking to their friends about a whole host of things. Um, whether it be sex or politics or business or whatever. But when it comes to money, there's still some reservation. And I will put my hand up and say that I am not particularly financially astute. I never have been. I feel like I'm learning all the time. And I love the books that I receive <laughs> from female investors that that teach me lots of different things. Uh, tips and tricks along the way and and the pieces that I read every day from um, amazing women in finance. But I will say that it's not a natural affinity for me. Um, but I had a conversation with one of my best friends who is particularly financially astute um, a couple of years ago. And she took me through, you know, just the, the micro investing app she was using at the time. And I was really intrigued by it. She broke it down in such an easy way for me. Um, it seemed so accessible to get started that way. She let me know and walked me through how you can invest, if it's just a small amount every month. Some of these apps actually round off uh, money that you're spending and, and just put it directly into there. And I guess it's just become like a little, a little nest egg that I never really thought that I would end up having. And so that's been a really positive project of mine but i know that it will actually make a difference i just think that the first step is is having these conversations and trying to to make ourselves feel more comfortable by gauging the information from people we trust
0: yes excellent have the conversations do your own research obviously make sure it uh, works for your situation but I think like Tyler just said there as well, is it? Uh, I always think that it helps to think long-term as well. Well, thank you to Superhero again for giving us the scope to have this conversation. Um, so you can learn more about your options at superhero.com.au or you can download the Superhero app. Okay, Tyler, so any final thoughts to close out this week's episode? What are you watching? What are you reading?
1: I'm actually still getting through the yes woman. We actually interviewed Grace Jennings Edquist a couple of weeks ago, but the more I read it, the better it gets. And I do think that it is worth picking up for anyone that does struggle to say no uh, to certain things, Um, which, yes, I am a
0: prime culprit for. Great. Okay. Well, so I just finished Sally Rooney's new book, Beautiful oh, yes. world. You and every other person on where this Where are you? I know. So I, I picked it up. I've read all her books. I don't know if I've necessarily particularly loved them. I've just kind of read them. They're really easy to read and just sort of suits where I've been at the last few years. But I was particularly interested to read this one because our colleague, one of our journalists on Women's Agenda, uh, Jessie Too, wrote this <laughs> incredible piece in the City Morning Herald about Sally Rooney and uh, really stating how... I guess overrated she finds her as an author. you scathing. I think the word <laughs> you're looking for is scathing. <laughs> I didn't necessarily agree with everything that Jessie wrote, but I like. I just love that she wrote that piece and put that out there. And so Sally Rooney's kind of been thought of as this author of the next generation almost. She's been really credited with people highlight how she does her conversations between people that speak to how her current generation Communicate anyway. I didn't really get that from this book at all, (laughs) which features these really long, lengthy essay emails that I just thought I don't send those emails. And then it made me think: Am I missing something? Did I miss the email thing where I'm supposed to email my friends these really long essays into my life of everything that's going wrong and everything that I think about world politics and the current state of the world? So it is interesting in that sense that it does feature you know young people discussing their futures and yeah so not necessarily a recommendation I guess one of those books that if you want to read so that you can keep up with what other people are talking about in book circles and various other things and maybe go and check it out it's it's a pretty easy read also my agenda is um, I have just started watching Succession and I think Succession is a show that Georgie Dent recommended maybe a year or so ago on this podcast and I could never find where to watch it They've just released the start of their third season and it is kind of about this Murdoch family running this media empire and succession, as you can tell by the name, it is sort of about who's going to take over the Rupert Murdoch-like figure. I'm only one episode in and everybody's been talking about it and raving about it and particularly raving about the, the start of the third season. So I'm looking forward to getting to the third season, but I think that that will give me a lot of enjoyment over the next few weeks. Oh, good tip. I'll get on that. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda podcast. A reminder that we are 100% female owned and run, and you can go and subscribe to our daily newsletter at womensagenda.com forward slash subscribe, where you can also find all the different stories and issues that we have been discussing on this episode. Also, a shout out to our other podcast, The Leadership Lessons, uh, hosted by Shirley Chowdhury and featuring conversations with diverse range of female leaders on how to lead for the decade ahead. We have recently kicked off season five, so you can go and check that out. Thank you for listening.